going on everyone welcome to my first ever patrons only mic'd up so this is where i'm going to provide special content hopefully um i'll bring you more regularly bring you more more voices uh, more of my friends i i feel like patreon is a place where i can create a community where we can be a little a little bit more you know um candid with each other you know what i'm saying <laughs> things might get a little messier here on this platform but all all in good fun, all in, in, in a way to bring about uh, change, transformative change in our community and to heighten the level of discourse, um, not just within our immediate community here on my, uh, on Patreon or within the mic'd up listenership, but to also heighten the level of discourse as we as we uh, move into our own communities and demand change and move for change. Because I don't, fundamentally, I don't want you just to listen and just, you know, be contented with what you hear. I want you to take what you hear so like so what's said here stays here but what's learned here should leave here if that makes sense all right so enjoy this episode this is my girl um alexandria coburn aka lexi so i'm gonna just let her and let her go and and have you guys listening and tell me what you think please leave a comment hit me up in my dms on instagram or twitter facebook let me know what you think about this episode and and who you'd like to hear me talk to next that'd be great right all right take care y'all have fun Hello, hello. My friend is on the other end of this line. I am so excited. I am so excited for you all to hear from her. Go ahead and introduce yourself, friend. Hi there, everyone. Uh, my name is Lexi Coburn. Um, right now, I am currently unemployed, but I was just came and coming off the organizing together North Carolina team as a state training director and previously state training director for Elizabeth Warren's primary campaign in North Carolina. Training extraordinaire. Whoop, whoop. Yes, training explore, extraordinaire. And yes, yeah, so you're in North CAC. I'm in South CAC. <laughs> we're, two, we're two black girls in the Carolinas. And not just black girls. Well, I'm a woman. You're a woman too. But um, we're two black femmes. And I thought it'd be a great uh, opportunity for you. I, I would love to hear. I would love to have more people hear your voice, Lexi. Um, because not just of the jobs you've held and your experience, but because I think in all of the discussion about heading to the polls this November, mm -hmm. both in your state and my state, we both have these really important states, but your state especially, um, heading into the November election. I wanted to just like like let people know about the landscape as we see it and have a candid conversation that we're just inviting people to listen in on. So let's just talk. Let's just jump into it. So um you just mentioned you just came you're fresh off the hills of the Elizabeth Warren primary campaign. I know you've done organizing for years in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and just give me give us a little bit more of your background and like you know, where you cut your teeth and how you are, where you are right now in between engagements. <laughs> yes, it, it, that's a really good way to describe it, in between engagements. Mm -hmm. um, but thank you so much for that introduction, Mika. Mm -hmm. Always lovely to, mm -hmm. to speak to you. Um, <laughs> um, I've been cutting my teeth on North Carolina politics since I was 13 years old. Um, really started to do advocacy through just volunteering and through my high school. Um, didn't make it actually a professional thing until I would say 2011, 2012, I was um, intern organizer. I really like climbed the ranks of what an organizer is starting with the Obama campaign. Um, I cut like 
I've been actually thinking about what it means to cut your teeth on a campaign or cut your teeth in organizing as of lately. And I come to the, um, the conclusion that I've cut my teeth in different places and different areas at different times that all like go toward my expertise as an organizer and as a trainer um, for organizing. Um, started with the Obama campaign in 2011 and 2012. Um, I was a fellow, which is like an intern. And I was an intern that was training organizers and getting them set up but I was never paid for my position, mainly because um, I was too young. I was 20, mm-hmm. 21, but mm-hmm. also because I didn't have a car, um, which is like a thing. But it's, um, <clears throat> we'll talk about gatekeeping a little bit later, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, after that, I uh, had to support my family. So I didn't do any um, organizing outside of volunteering for the K. Hagen campaign in 2014 in North Carolina. Um, and then I got my second chance. So I, I call it a second chance. And I'll talk about what that means later too. But I got my second chance um, for the uh, North Carolina coordinated campaign, which is basically the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. And I was the youth vote organizer. So I had two college campuses. Um, <clears throat> I had Duke University, which is a predominantly white institution. One of the biggest, mm. most private yes. schools in the country. And I also had North Carolina Central University, one of the most Im- eminent um, historically black college universities in the country as well. Um, both in the same city, North Carolina, one of the most progressive bastions of the states, Durham, North Carolina, where I currently reside. And um, <clears throat> it, it was a really formative experience. I was able to take off my hat my Duke hat and then put on my central hats and, you know, go <laughs> have tea with Congressman Butterfield and then go to Duke and, you know, talk to uh, Janet Mock and Len- Lena Dunham. Um, that's what Duke. Wow. And- name drop, name drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what, um, that's what surrogates were at the end of a very costly election. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was the person on the campus, you know, corralling all the students there on both campuses. Uh, really formed an experience. Um, of course we lost and, I became a little mm-hmm. bit disillusioned with um, presidentials. I really wanted to do more work, but just kind of like not have to kill my body because it is a lot of extenuous energy to be a organizer. Especially on, on, on younger people. I think people take that for granted. They, some The exploitation, you talk about gatekeeping, which we'll get to, but the exploitation of, of young labor, as you said, when you were 20, you weren't paid for what I believe was probably very, very important and hard work. Yes, absolutely. I'll go back for a second. And um, when I was mm-hmm. with the Obama campaign, um, I used to get my mother to drop me off at the Wake County Courthouse steps every morning at 9 a.m. to do about two and a half hours of voter registration, which means standing in front of mm-hmm. the um, courthouse to get people to register to vote. And uh, my field organizer at the time told us that, you know, to order to hit our goals, we weren't to come back. We weren't allowed to come back until we hit a certain quota. Um, it's really, it, it's not a great experience for me to like look back and see how um, how how transactional campaigns used to be. Um, I can tell you, as someone who's in a, like a higher position in campaigns now, we're being a little less transactional, but that um, that trade off is always going to be there just by nature. Um, but it used to be really bad. And I remember doing, you know, um, canvassing 
um, Saturday and Sundays and 90 degree, 95 degree heat and wow. majority of white neighborhoods. Um, they put me in black neighborhoods at first. My turf was at first Southeast Raleigh and Garner, which is historically black. Um, and they started to move me into more white territories, which meant that my safety was a little bit um, threatened mm-hmm. um, going into yeah. areas and like outside of the great, what I call greater Raleigh, St. Saint, Saint Mary's area. I hope people right. listening know yeah, a little bit what I'm talking that, about. The, the, yeah, the nature, I'm sure they do, um, or, or, you know, or, and they can Google, but like, um, and also the nature of your work probably changed greatly. Um, as you moved into, you know, predominantly white areas and whatnot. Um, and, and I think that that's right there, something that people don't really take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um, I did, I wanted, I did want to bring you forward a little bit. I know you were in your story, so we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get to everything, but I wanted to bring you, bring you forward a little bit, um, to right now, like, well, your most recent experience coming off of the Elizabeth Warren campaign can you tell us more about like just how that even happened like I know you and I met okay so people listening right I do want this to be like a conversation so like you and I met when you were working at Indivisible, killing it, right? Yeah. What was your position with Indivisible first? Because that's important. So my uh, my first position with Indivisible was senior regional regional organizer. I named myself the South Atlantic organizer, and I had six states. Um, I was the lead organizer for Delaware, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, and both Carolinas. Wow. When you met wow, me, wow, that's wow. what I was doing. And when you met mm-hmm. me, I was in. I was um, coming off of the last day of a South Carolina. Carolina tour where I hit Greenville, Columbia, and Charleston. Um, and I remember that day like the like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, because you were yeah. like one of the first black woman what black women I saw at these meetings. Um, yeah. oh yeah. And then so let's let's talk about that, right? So we in South Carolina, you're organizing for indivisible, but a lot of these spaces that both you and I both were organizing in, because I was like doing communications and social media for Indivisible Charleston at that point and talking shit. But <laughs> at that time, like all the rooms I was in was predominantly white and it was just like the most to me, coming from Philly, coming from Jersey politics, it just it you know, I was wondering why wondering why it looked like that in these progressive, these quote unquote progressive spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was wild. Yeah. And, okay. and then when you, go ahead. Oh yeah. So you were used to it. Yeah. I was very no, used to no. it. Coming from North Carolina yeah. politics and coming from like, you know, presidentials and like, you know, volunteer Senate campaigns and, and like, I was very used to being either the only black girl in the room, black woman in the room or having just not being represented a lot. It was very, it was like, that was very normal. But but so so people for people listening who don't understand that like you and I both grew up in black homes, um, I'm not sure. I didn't ever ask you about like did you grow up in the church like I did. Um, um I, did I grew up. Or- I grew up in my early years was in the church. Once uh, my aunt was the bastion of like my aunt, my great grandmother were bastions of the um, Kojic in my family. Um, Ooh, see Kojic. there it is. Yep, Kojic. we were Kojic mm. and. Um, <laughs> We were Kojic and we, my mother's kind of stopped doing that right around maybe 11. So, um, okay. only tangentially. But, but that, right. But, but that means like, so you were around like black folks who were politically active and some, at some level, like, like I know my church, I, I grew up Baptist. Both my parents were Baptist and raised me Baptist, but, um, my church was always, if, if not, um, 
politi- politically engaged, civically engaged in these spaces. Like I, I grew up in those, and maybe you saw them on the periphery or experienced it on the periphery a little bit. Um, but that's, I mean, so my point is like in the South, black people are civically engaged in a lot and, and it stems from the church or just some sort of other like communal experience. Yeah. And, but it didn't translate into these, like these organizing spaces. Like me at Women's March, Women's March was like, like a hot mess. I never even really unpacked my whole Women's March experience because it was a hot white feminist mess. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was microaggression after microaggression and um and i'm not here to bash um indivisible i'll bash women's march but um you don't have to bash indivisible (laughs) indivisible but can you just characterize your experience like you said being the only black girl in these spaces well i will first begin by saying i was the first black person hired at indivisible in may of 2017 no you weren't yes no you weren't no you weren't no you weren't lexi i was I was. I was oh the first black person God. hired. Mm-hmm. And we had, I think at that time, about, I would say 10 to 12 staff. I was not the first person of color hired, but I was the first no, black no, person no. hired. You, so I need to put you on a black history calendar. <laughs> <laughs> about time. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna put you, I'm going to make a calendar <laughs> of, uh, of black women, <laughs> notable black women, and your onboarding date is going to be <laughs> the holiday. <laughs> May 7th. May 7th. Yeah, I forgot. I actually forgot about it. Um, I I forgot that I was the first Black person hired. And um, I just, I was so excited when I started to see other Black people come to Indivisible. I remember I was driving back from North Carolina. No, I was driving back from South Carolina when I got a text from uh, my co-organizer saying that like, oh my God, they hired another Black girl. I was like, oh my God, I'm so happy. Um, Because I finally started seeing this like, you know, representation and you know, I always liked being around my own. But the reason why it was yeah. so exciting was because I think that in Southern politics, if you're a Black woman in Southern politics, you have one or you have one of two choices. You can either go with what everybody else wants you to do, the Black establishment, mm. or mm. you can be radical. And mm. I was somewhere in the middle, you know, remembering mm. that I was you know, in predominantly white spaces, which meant that you're talking about predominantly white spaces pre-2016, pre-2017 even. Um, these, are, these are spaces where I'm not having my voice heard. I'm being tokenized. I'm being microaggressed. Like, it is a very normal feeling to have that happen. So much that where, when I started to do racial equity trainings, I started to see and remember these things happening to me and finally putting a word to them. And that's why REI Change would be so close to my heart because it was absolutely the validation I needed to make me feel like I wasn't crazy or I wasn't being like, mm. you know, sensitive. Um, right. Because the, cause these workspaces will gaslight you now. Absolutely. They, they will, still they still do. Yeah. They still do. We they just have do. we just absolutely. have the um, we just have the tools to be able to call it out now. Mm, um absolutely <laughs> so okay i wanted to ask you i wanted to ask you like so we met you at indivisible you left in what capacity so in i left in the capacity of senior training associate about uh mm. june of 2018 i switched to training only in which i was mm. able to just start it was a team of two as myself and my training director and we um we trained the country of indivisibles and um, mm. I'm just going to go back for one second and say the yeah, reason yeah. why it's super important that I didn't remember that I was the first black person hired at Indivisible. I didn't remember that because I came upon this 
realization of what it meant to be Black and organized in these states and be, like, Mm -hmm. the poster child of, like, what it means, like, just the poster child of what it means to be Black and interact with, like, middle-aged, moderately wealthy, white, college-educated women and have just my entire everything be denied. Like, you know, I'm not ever, you know me, I'm not one to, like, really, like, talk about like oh I've done this and I've done this and I've done this I'm everything like I'm not that's not how we were raised as organizers to do Uh, however it is fascinating how I was really I was more aware of my color and how I looked in my dark skin more Mm. at Indivisible than I ever did prior right I was just a black girl yeah and I think I think what a lot of like perhaps white or maybe even some POC folk might not take into consideration is that these places that look like liberal bastions are actually very toxic for black people. That's why like um toward the end of my time with Women's March, they were just uh contemplating creating a black caucus for black for black women and I kept trying to scream shout beg and plead for them to prioritize the black southern woman organizer and femme organizer and they just never made a priority because we mm-hmm. needed a we needed a space um because I was in the I was in the south at that time but we needed a space and we needed we needed safe spaces and for those who don't know um what caucus spaces are I I can fill it fill people in fill people in later but basically just within within whatever organization you need to create um community um based on race sometimes based on sometimes maybe even gender but you need to have um places where people can seek community within the community um and also bring some of the concerns out of that caucus into the uh and bring it to the fore so it can be prioritized by those in leadership um so i can only imagine you working with peers um with this different experience and really just not feeling like you measure up um, is that what prompted you to leave Indivisible and maybe join a campaign? What prompted me to um, leave Indivisible was being very tired of the mm. politics of the organization, how they were treating Black staff, particularly. Mm-hmm. I don't like to say people of color in this particular no. instance, because it really wasn't happening to people of color. It was happening to Black people. Um, right. We had a... We, we just had a an event happened at the organization and it broke down just a lot of trust and communication between um, the associates. I was an associate. So between the organizers and associates and like the upper um, levels of leadership. And Mm -hmm. after two and a half years of begging it, like same thing, begging and pleading about the caucuses, we created the caucuses, thank God for Slack. We created the mm. caucuses on our own. Um, I can't, I'm not taking like credit for that. We had two very strong black people from the South and the Midwest come into our organization and start to like move to create these spaces. And they, these spaces changed my life. It gave well, me. Well, and for clarity for people listening, so you use the uh, the Slack. Y'all, you guys use Slack as a means to communicate. So within Slack, you created like these other channels where they were black only spaces. Correct. Exactly. Yes. Thanks for the clarification. Okay. Yeah. We created no. the Slack channels, like, you know, Black mm. Women, a Black Women Slack. It was called Hey Sis, actually. And, um, <laughs> you know, the POC Caucus channel, we had that for years. And then we had one for the organization, and we had one for the organizers. Because 
the reason why we kept it separate is because the things that were happening to the organizers was inherently different than what was happening to the the larger staff because they were in D.C. not having a ton of communication with the group leaders, which is where mm. most of the harm was coming from. And toward the end of um, and toward the end of my duration at Indivisible, it became 50-50. Harm is coming from not only group leaders, but it was also coming from staff. So, so the culture, so the culture was like compromised by some, you know, lack of attention paid to to that diversity piece and that race and equity piece. I, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very torn yeah. relationship that I have with yeah. um, Indivisible. Is somewhere where I learned a ton. I was able to travel and to kind of like live my little bougie fantasy of an organizer mm. and go around and train people. It was very wonderful, and I made lifelong friends at Indivisible. But like, you know, we can walk. We can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? There were also yeah. a lot of things happening within the organization that was like kind of like hurting my soul. We, the um, I was one. I was the I was the fourth organizer hired within Invisible back in 2017. So that meant that I had a hand in creating what is happening today. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you know, I didn't do it alone, but you know, really led the force on creating the REI series for the yeah. Indivisibles, uh, the um, group leaders and the group members. And, you know, I remember fighting with people about, you know, how it should be, should it be mandatory, should it not be mandatory, you know, all those things. And I think that yeah. in 2019, I was just coming to an end. I was coming to an yeah. end with my, uh, with my patients. Uh, sorry for the lawnmower. Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, I was coming to We're end. all Zooming from home and everything. We have to be, right, go ahead. Oh, I'm I, so sorry. You were coming to an end. Go, yeah. yeah, coming <laughs> to an end uh, with my patients. Um, my relationship with my boss was de- deteriorating. She wasn't like a big focus of harm, but complicit. You know what I mean? So yeah. really complicit. And I was just like, you know, I'm not doing my work as I need to be. I'm grieving. I need to leave. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't occur to me to leave. Um, really, it wasn't advantageous for me to leave in 2019. In late mm-hmm. 2019, to go on a presidential primary it wasn't advantageous. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I started to hear Elizabeth Warren for who she was. Uh, I always have this joke. If, I always have this joke as, of if someone came to me in 2017 and said that I would leave my cushy job at a nonprofit in DC to go work for a white woman from New England, I would have laughed in their face. Girl, um, <laughs> let me just let me just let's jump in there. Absolutely, because I think this is first of all for those listening. This is Warren Gang 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 um, Gang Gang. Yeah, Dream big, <laughs> so. But- <laughs> That's right. Big stressful change. Yes. What? Oh. <laughs> so I was I didn't have an official uh, position on the campaign, but I definitely worked with my friend who was who ended up being a surrogate. And then also, um, I well, I endorsed her. I, I came out and endorsed her as a part of Black Women Four. Shout out Leslie Mack. Shout out Angela Peebles. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I endorse, but, but like you said, like in a million years after leaving women's March, after the, after the stuff I went through here in Charleston, the last thing I thought I'd be doing is like stumping for a white woman. But when I tell you her, not just her platform, the women she hired, the black women, she hired the black women, she empowered the her the can I've never well you've got more campaign experience than I do, but that campaign was a was a clinic. People need to take note 
on how to run a campaign that centers black women and not just, you know, and black issues yes. in a thoughtful way. Absolutely. How was that like? So, yeah, so you, you joined the campaign in what capacity? I joined the campaign as state training director. So I made a jump okay. from senior training associate to training director, and I was shell-shocked, but very, <laughs> very happy. And I'm going to say this, and it's a little controversial, mm. you know, at me if you want to, yeah. um, but Elizabeth Warren's campaign was blacker than President Obama's campaign in terms of staff, Boom. in terms of Boom. staff, and in terms of, like, mm. really upholding real black issues just a game changer i felt safe yes at the one i think well this see this is where we need to dispel a little bit of the myth too the myth of of obama that like like okay so in my mama house obama is a and my mama house too and my mama house too and my grandmama's house right don't and my daddy might don't ever talk about don't talk about you know cousin barack right in the (laughs) house but like but <laughs> with people like my age, your age, um, I, I w- I'm going to call myself progressive. I don't know how you identify. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming if you were working with Elizabeth Warren, you got some progressive values yes. and indivisible. <laughs> so, so, but, but for us, we were able to look back and critically reflect upon like that, you know, Obama's eight years and black women like Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, like so many other black women, we felt short, short change. And we didn't get a lot out of not just his, um, you know, I'm sure um, people who work for him, that's debatable, but we didn't get a lot out of his presidency as it pertains to black women. He had um, our brother's keeper and then we didn't get a Supreme court pick. There's a bunch of things. We just, we were afterthoughts, but black women were the ones that powered him into office. And so um, when you say you felt safer on that campaign, I don't take that lightly. And it just, it validates all of what I've been hearing from other women far beyond me in experience and in scholarship. It, It validates a lot of what they say and, you know, in your experience. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It was just like, um, you know, we, I remember this moment of being in North Carolina in May of 2012, amendment one was on the ballot during our primary amendment one for all you listeners, um, was outlawing gay marriage in the state basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, it was voted, it was voted for, so it went through and the next day president obama came out and was just like you know everyone should marry everyone love is love i support gay marriage um remember as i said earlier i was um one of the organizers for southeast raleigh and garner which is like Mm -hmm. um pretty black and um like these are older about to be retired families working for the state so you know obama territory but what happened was mm-hmm. that i was doing calls that night after he said you know love is love and mm-hmm. i didn't get a lot of my volunteers back and i didn't get oh. um i was talking on the phone with some people and they were just like yeah i don't really know if i support him because you know we don't believe that over here you know homosexuality oh, is wow. sin this is 2012 and i was just mm-hmm. like oh okay and like you know not even coming to grips with my own budding sexuality at the time either. Um, I am queer right. for everyone who's listening as well. Um, okay. But at that time, it was just like, oh, wow, we are, we're doing this. Okay, okay, no problem. So, you know, really understanding that his base, you know, mm. black is black, but his mm. base was pretty conservative. Pretty conservative, yeah, conservative. In, in and terms. and black and yeah, and black folk are conservative down down here. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that gets us, mm-hmm. you know, and and this is like why we are the crux of where we are. But just like transitioning mm-hmm. back to Elizabeth Warren campaign, um, 
just really just her plan for everything. I mean, she really did have a plan for everything. I remember printing out all the plans. <laughs> it just goes yeah. green at the ream of paper. Um, and girl, girl, she had a plan for everything. every single thing. Um, she had a mm. plan to improve Ashley Nicole Black's um, romantic life. She had a mm. plan how to <laughs> meet back in college. You know, she had a plan for everything. Um, and more than that, that was so funny. That was so funny. <laughs> I know that was yeah. one of the first moments. I was just like, oh. Maybe I should look Me at this too. woman. I was like, wait, hold up. She tweeting? Okay. Go ahead, girl. I was, I, and I was actually just re, um, reflecting on the moment I decided I wanted to work for her. You know, to be intersectional mm. is to be a Black woman, right? You have to be intersectional mm. in everything you do. And um, there were two town halls about um, LGBTQ. And um, the first one was anchored by Angelica Ross. This is not the CNN one. And um, a couple of candidates came out and gave their speech. So what would happen is that they would, they would come out, give a little elevator speech, and then have an interview with um, a journalist of sorts. So Joe Biden came out and he was talking with someone. Cory Booker came out, Steve Bullock, um, things like that. And then Elizabeth Warren came out. And, and I should also say that these senators and um, people who were running at the time were talking about, you know, their advocacy of like trying to push the Equality Act through Congress. And, you know, um, you know, we have so much work to do, but we can we can do it. And, you know, all, you know, um, LGBTQ lives matter. And, you know, it was like, you know, regular grandstanding. You know, of course, Pete was there. Um, <laughs> so Elizabeth Warren came out. Elizabeth Warren came out. And didn't say any of those things. She actually started reading the names of the, I think, 21 at that time, Black trans women that had been murdered in 2019. Sitting next to my trans friend at the time, we were bawling. We were absolutely mm-hmm. crying because when you talk about representation of marginalized mm-hmm. communities, when you have all these mm-hmm. people talking about what they've done, centering themselves in the argument when the argument is nothing about themselves, you have a, a woman from Massachusetts and Oklahoma. (laughs) And she was saying like, you know, just reading these names. And then Mm -hmm. I remember also in my head, I was just like, the only, the first person who talks about the Senate gets my vote. And of course she was just Mm -hmm. like, we can't do any of this, any of this if we don't get the Senate. And this is why I called you right here. This, this right here, this is why I called you and had this conversation. I was just, yeah, I was just like, I just, this woman is on it. And yeah, I had my definite like feelings about you know trusting a white woman at that time like really trusting her to be right but like proof is in the pudding no campaign is perfect i will say no campaign will actually ever be perfect that's just a structural way it won't it won't but hers was just such an affirming process of like why i do this work and it wasn't it weren't they weren't like cosmetic black hires they weren't glossy oh this person you know can wear the hell out of a suit on cnn (laughs) so we just made her you know these were like substantive really heavy hitting really good hires and like um really thoughtful hires at that and it just didn't feel i kept waiting for shoe to drop a shoe to drop i just i met her backstage i met her so many times i was able to um being that i worked with one of her surrogates i was able to have so much access to her and never when i tell you the consummate politician and maybe that is i don't know that might might be scary to some people but i look for that though i look for the veil just never dropped i mean even in candid moments where she's I'm assuming she, does she know anyone's watching? She's with her husband and she and Bruce are just walking down the hallway of a, of a high school in Goose Creek holding hands. Like 
no cameras. They back, you know, like it's just, just and then her real. husband picking up track. I'm just real. I just, I'm a fan. I'm a big, big, big we'll fan of Elizabeth Warren. We'll always be a yeah, fan. So, 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 um, you just mentioned something, and this is why I want to have this conversation. So we're at the thirty minute mark, which is dope, right? So that's good. So I can mark this for people to really like. Okay, y'all lean in now. So <laughs> basically, basically, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren and other other candidates. You know, I'm not I'm not even thinking just strictly presidential uh, primary candidates. I'm thinking of like a number of progressive candidates who popped up. They really um. What made me look at like oh like oh even a Julian Castro even though he he was another primary content, uh, mm-hmm. candidate, but they were able to look forward and almost like hey we need someone that can plan for this and plan for that for the Carolinas. Let's bring it back to the Carolinas. What do you what do you see in terms of like what do you what do you see that folks you, you <laughs> that you think folks aren't paying attention to to help us prepare like as we head into this critical election season like what aren't people talking about in your opinion oh yeah 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 um well first of all what you said earlier about north carolina being such a big state north carolina mm-hmm. historically has been a battleground state since 2004 the year i turned 13 so mm-hmm. i've known this for most of my life like to be north carolina is to be a swing state a red leaning swing state but a swing state nonetheless and it is a hot hot race right now um mm. what we're not looking at though um i truly believe what we're not looking at though is the peripheral states uh we're not looking at south carolina this is a big mm. election and honestly so as you know like you know working with indivisible doing the endorsement process down in their states and knowing who the candidates are in the congressional districts and the senate level and the governor level there has not been an excitement in North Car- in South Carolina that I've seen in recent years, as we see it with Jamie Harrison. Um, mm-hmm. And this this race is critical. We talk about you know battleground states, but we talk about states who politically, given to like you know the powers that be, don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina has really historically been that state. I mean, it is true that Republicans outvote Democrats two to one. But what happens to me here a perfect storm of a likable black Senate candidate and a horrible, vilified incumbent coming together in the age of Trump, in the age of a blue wave that's even crossing over into South Carolina? This is a perfect storm. I think we all should be looking at this race a little bit like closer and really understanding that I believe fundamentally you cannot run a state politically if you're not from that state if you don't understand that state don't come don't come i have a nice little story about this with virginia and alabama in 2017 Mm. um we were working on the um virginia 2017 gubernatorial race which really like set into motion virginia's um complete transformation to a blue state well after Mm. um governor northam was elected and Danica Roam, and it was just like an overhaul. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the women of Indivisible, my group leaders, were just mm-hmm. like, okay, great. So we're going to go to Alabama now and help Doug Jones. And I remember saying mm-hmm. very clearly and loudly to them, stay in Herndon Reston, stay in Arlington, because they're not going to receive you down there. Let mm-hmm. Doug Jones run his race. You cannot go to Alabama. You cannot do that. And I think that what we need to be talking about, and I just, oh man, I just, this just happened on Facebook earlier today, talking about, yeah, yeah no, like talking about the in, the inherent racism of blue New England states when they want to oh adopt God. states. 
And mm-hmm. as a, and as an organizer of Southern states who had connections to, you know, the New York, the New Pen- the Pennsylvanias, the Maines, the New Hampshire's, the Connecticut's, constantly they were just like, oh, we're going to adopt, you know, Charlotte. You guys need help. So we're just going to help out. But it's like inherently, like they're dictating yeah. what that it looks like. They're not asking well, that too. Help. Right, that that too, right, and and also to the conversation I'm trying I'm trying to heighten the level of discourse around how we view the South in general, mm-hmm. and even um and and that's one of the if I were to list some opportunities from the Warren campaign, it wasn't in that like Black Women Four I think was a powerful voice and we needed we needed the organizing acumen of a Leslie Mack we needed the organizing acumen of an of Angela Peoples, but I felt like there was room for a, another voice, a, a homegrown voice, um that that reverse migration voice that kind of like that 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 helped articulate the issues we have my point is we have these resources here whether it's the reverse migration voice or even the homegrown voices we have this this really rich voice of women men femmes gender non-conforming folks they're here people are not engaging them and so that that help that comes from a new england or from a Northeast or wherever, or California, whatever, right. um, it tends to be condescending because they still look at the South as this really old, outdated, um, you know, outdated, I guess, uh, what do you call it, caricature. Yeah. Uh, and it's Absolutely. not that. It's so not that. You know this. I, I, I feel like your voice is one of those voices. Absolutely. Um, from the South. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. Like me and my um, co-organizer, um, Whitney, shout out to Whitney if you're happen to be looking hey, um but yeah, like we absolutely spent, i know right uh, <laughs> um we spent the first part of 2017 and 2018 with indivisible screaming to other people that the south is not a backwards place mm-hmm. like it's not a place yeah. where you have where like was Whitney from? sorry where was whitney from Mer- again, myrtle Ronnie? beach myrtle beach south carolina right. myrtle beach right. and um you know when you really look at how class and race intersects Whitney and I have had pretty much the same back the same upbringings and backgrounds and like how we move through politics too she did on the Bernie side I did on the Hillary side we came together and really realized that like people really still think that the south is a backwards place where races come to die you know what I mean and not giving enough credit to the New Englanders and the Midwesterners and the people just in California just in Northern California alone Oregon a state, mm-hmm. Arizona, like you don't, like, you know, just commercially, you don't, you don't um, associate that with like Oregon, but you should. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. We're not here. We're not there just trying to scrape our way to the top. Y'all put us there. But, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. I like to remind people, and there's a meme going around Facebook as I speak that says the same thing. Like we got like... America and the world has gotten so many revolutionary organizers from the South, from the South. Mm-hmm. They all come from the South. Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker, Polly Murray, all, all from of the them. South. All, all of, of them. them from that's the why South. I keep, yeah, on my platform, that's why it's important for me to continuously pull from history and highlight that these, these radical I just I keep saying it's the blueprint. I'm like we don't need to recreate the wheel. It's the blueprint, and that um real quick I just want to shout out for people listening. Like that's why y'all need to pick up that book. Um I've been putting it in my IG stories. Uh, all the women were white. 
excuse me, all the women are white, all the blacks are men, but some of us are brave. It's a black woman studies like anthology and they have a second edition y'all that has a new afterword by Brittany Cooper. Shout out to Professor Crunk, Dr. Brittany Cooper. Love Dr. Yeah. Cooper. Yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You were saying like, and, and that's the thing, like, so if you know the history, if you know a Septima Clark, if you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, MLK and Rosa Parks came to, to train at her knee, <laughs> um, exactly. at Highlander, right? If you know that, I was just about to talk about the Highlander. I was like, if you haven't been to, if you haven't been to the Highlander, if you do not know what the Highlander is, do not talk to Southern organizers because we're already because we're already like above your level. We understand what that is. We understand the historical mm-hmm. context of what it means to go to Tennessee in the middle of nowhere to the Highlander, this mecca of civil mm-hmm. rights training. If you don't know what Fisk University is, get out my face. <laughs> like th- these these things, like you know the gall. But you know we can talk about privilege all day long. We can talk about something. But but that, but there but there is but there is a myopia when it comes to the South. Like they think we're all backwards. And th- and this is the thing though. This is the gag. It, it's not all everyone. It's not all their fault because the those who are invested in the uh, this state has been red for a long time and that was by design right yep. um the way our even our government is is created the way the governorship is created was all to make sure that a black person if they get in power wouldn't have that much power like this state has so many different mechanisms built into it uh to keep it regressive to keep it the way it is now to keep uh people who work you know, they don't have as many rights as those who are from the, the Northeast or somewhere else, right? Yeah. There, There isn't a union presence here like it is in like a Chicago or somewhere else. And that's all by design. Yeah. And so they 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 benefit from that backward. That's why I think like my governor, Governor, governor Henry McMaster, I think that's why he uses such a, like that affect, that draw, which is real, but I think he lays it on a little thick because I think it, it 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 really helps feed into that narrative that that way this is the way we do things down here and we ain't doing that we ain't wearing masks no we gonna open these beaches and yeah. you know we are gonna serve this liquor and it's all to like perpetuate a narrative but it's not like that when you get here yeah, yeah. it's not sorry that was a, that was a long rant oh no yeah. but it's needed though because I mm-hmm. I'm very fascinated with the the comparison of North and South Carolina. Right now, one mm-hmm. of my one of my friends from South Carolina is up in up up in North Carolina with me, and just hearing her talk about like the differences, just the mm. just in the grocery stores. Ugh. She made this. She made this very fascinating. You're talking about you talking about our 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 mutual. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What did what did she like? Yeah, I want to hear this. She in made this stores. very interesting. Um, uh, like she noticed this something very interesting of like she would go to Walmart in South Carolina and get like a pack of meats. And um, she was just like, you know, there's only but so much meat in like the packages. But I took her to a Harris mm. Teeter up here in North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, and she was like, this is so much meat. Why is it so much meat? I don't understand. This is so much meat. Like, what is happening? Like, and it's just fascinating because it's something that you'll just like, you know, you'll laugh off. But I like to go back and think about those things and really talk about infrastructure and foundations and like just access. Like, I am privileged. I have an access here in North Carolina and I do love it here. Um, but I've been in North Carolina, I've been in South Carolina. You, you remember in 2018, I was in South Carolina every other day. And like really like understand like the differences just in the state alone, just in the roads, you can feel the bump when you cross over the South Carolina line. Um, just mm-hmm. like y'all, just like 
y'all deserve better. You really no, but you really can't. You, can. you feel better. Look, I'm, I lived I lived in Jersey and Philly for the longest, and let me tell you something about these roads down here on the highway. I'm like, come on, yeah. come on. Yeah. All right, and then now, like also even in North yeah. Carolina, where you know a Governor Cooper. Now let me tell you something. I was not. Um, I protested at Governor Cooper's mansion when he didn't do right by us with HB2 in 2017. But for all intents and purposes, like we fought down to the last ballot, 7,500 votes. We won um, Governor Cooper 2016 and he has really delivered on his message and on his promise. Very happy. But that's the we, job, though. Really, let me just break, let me break in there. That's the job is to hold them accountable. Like that's what you're supposed to do, right? Go, yep, go, go. Yep, yeah, and I hope I hope all of you remember to hold people accountable in 2021. Um, after all this is over, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. absolutely, like knowing, like I'm I'm in a state where everyone's wearing masks, and the minute I hit South Carolina and I had to go to the bathroom in a gas station, nobody was wearing masks. And I was like, nobody. oh, go back in the house. Go back in the, I mean, go back in the car because I can't do it. Yep. No, it's yeah. real. It's, it's so real. How, how cavalier, how cavalier okay. it is here. And now, not only that, I'm at AutoZone when, when COVID hits, I'm at AutoZone. I'm with my mother who's 70 um, she's in the car, but, but, um, I, we're out running errands. I go into auto zone. I got my gloves on. I got my mask on, um, you know, my cell phone, I'm, I'm, you know, using certain things so I don't have to touch too much and then touch my phone. Mm-hmm. And the girl, the white woman had the audacity, the white clerk at the auto zone had the audacity. Can I ask you a question? Why are you wearing all that? The, the way that oh white God. folk have criticized have politicized and have empowered themselves to check black bodies who are dying and being impacted disproportionately by this disease. And and this is what the governor, this is what he owns. He doesn't just own these ordinances. He owns these attitudes towards people who have to, who have to arm themselves, Absolutely. who have to protect themselves Absolutely. with PPE. Yeah. I remember yeah, yeah. at the height of, not the height of COVID because we haven't gotten to the height of COVID yet. No, but we like, haven't. At the first, like when everybody was home and when each county had stay at home orders starting at Friday at five, I went out to cook out because, you know, some habits don't change but um <laughs> me, you tell you <laughs> but um i went out too and i got on right on highway 40 which is like the main highway um interstate mm-hmm. in north carolina and there was not a soul on the highway at nine o'clock at night nobody mm-hmm. um you know when you're in a state where the governor owns the response and owns the messaging you see it reflected in the people yes we have reopened North Carolina, a whole bunch of crazy white people who are just like you fridge on the freedoms. That's going to exist everywhere. But we're mm-hmm. looking at the margins. We're looking at, you know, go to the north. I'm in Virginia. Virginia's not on a list of like the biggest outbreaks. Mm-hmm. And it shows, mm-hmm. but Tennessee is, mm-hmm. South Carolina is. North Carolina is yeah. right at the end. We're right at the end. Right. So And and also like like uh, my previous state, like uh Pennsylvania and New Jersey, those governors aren't taking it lightly and you see it reflected in like Yeah, how governors Worth and Murphy are on it. Yeah. There you go. They're, Look at you. I'm sorry. Know one of your governors. Ooh. <laughs> um, like that anime that animaniacs game where like instead of listing countries, you just list all the governors. But no, um <laughs> no no no. I wanted I wanted to I wanted to bring because we got like about fifteen. Well, we don't have we don't have to be on the clock but so i'm not gonna do that but um i wanted to like bring it forward to just to just think think about some of these other races like 
Like, so you're in what is called a battleground state, right? Yes, that's correct. North Carolina is. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Like, how is how is North Carolina battleground state? Why you know why should it? Why does the state matter? Oh man, why does North Carolina matter? (laughs) Let's get my stump stump speech out. Um, North Carolina matters because North Carolina used to be a progressive bastion in the late '90s, and we lost Mm -hmm. that along the way. We also. North Carolina was blue for like two minutes in 2008 by 14,000 votes. Um, And then in 2010, when everything took a hard right turn, and I said that correctly, a hard right turn, um, Mm -hmm. we lost our General Assembly. And we lost it for eight years. And we lost a lot of respect for the country. Like, we just lost a lot of things. We beat the majority in um, 2018, but we have a lot of more work to do. We have to protect Governor Cooper. We have to get Tom Tillis out of there. And I'm gonna talk about out. I'm gonna talk about the Senate yes. for a moment. And I'm gonna yes. talk about like intersections and what we should be looking for. Because hi, I'm gonna tap my mic. Not every win is a win. Okay. Um I'll get back to thank, that. In thank a you. No, well we this shoot, this might be a part. Thank you for saying that. Well go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And um we we have to turn it out because like going back to twenty twelve. The way battleground states work, usually, um, I'll give the example of North Carolina and Florida. So North Carolina and Florida were blue in 2008, right? But in 2012, mm-hmm. North Carolina was the only state to flip back to red. Florida still stayed mm-hmm. blue. And we were able to have enough resources here and enough strength here with volunteers and staff that we were able to make Mitt Romney spend more money in North Carolina to hold North Carolina so that we can stave off Florida and we can just mm. crush it on Florida. And we basically sacrifice ourselves so that Florida and its more electoral votes could win. With our 15, we lost, right? That's mm. just basic electoral mm. math, like basic. Um, anybody with a Nate Silver um, um, web address can figure that out. Um, But if you're looking at just 2020 as it is right now, you have the perfect storm of a presidential, a governor race, and a a highly contested Senate race. It's not, I would say, that it's not as big as South Carolina's is right now, but it's been up there for quite some time. And I just want to talk a little bit about what the primary looked like here, because there wasn't a huge primary in South Carolina. You had Dr. Tinabu run against Jamie Harrison, but that was just like for a minute. We had an actual right. contested Senate race, a Senate primary in North Carolina mm-hmm. um, between the top two candidates, were, which were Cal Cunningham and Erica Smith. Now, Cal, Cal Cunningham, I remember very fondly as the person I, the, my, fir, my first vote ever was a vote against Cal Cunningham in 2010. Mm-hmm. I just felt like mm-hmm. he didn't bring anything to the table. He didn't energize me. His politics were uh, moderate. But I absolutely, but I was just like, we had the votes. I voted for Elaine Marshall, who is our Secretary of State. Um, mm-hmm. um, um, Erica Smith is a um, state senator from the northeastern corridor of the state. Now, for all you North Carol- non North Carolinians out here, the northeast corridor of the state is what we call Tidewater, um, mm-hmm. generally, and it is historically black. These are pit. Um, the counties of Pitt County, Nash, Edgecombe, Gates, Bertie County, these are rural. They're black, black and rural. There's one HBCU up there, Elizabeth City State University, where my father graduated from. And um, she's from that area. She mm. held 
and a black woman held so much power and so much energy, but had no money. Mm. Couldn't get any money. Mm. And she had been running for a year prior to the primaries. Like yeah. she started running in January, 2019. I remember telling Indivisibles because I'm still working at Indivisible. to like put yeah, their energy behind Erica mm. Smith because she has a chance. We can do it. Mm. Um, but Cal Cunningham came in on Memorial Day uh, weekend, 2019 with ads lots of mm-hmm. money and I was just like yeah That's okay amazing. this is what's about to happen so mm-hmm. you had Republicans who were how do I say this they were propping up Erica Smith's candidacy because they wanted to run they wanted to be able they wanted to have Tom Sales run against the weaker candidate in their eyes uh, there's so much you. there's so much to unpack here it makes absolutely no yeah. sense no but that yeah I got gotcha. you and mm-hmm. um what happened on the ground was that there were people who were so concentrated on getting Tom Sittles out of there is that they were actually denying a black woman a chance to speak for herself and speak on the mm. fact that she didn't believe any of those things that faith and whatever faith and action pack was saying but they didn't want to believe that because all they wanted to do was get out of get um Tom Sills out of there, which that's girl. I remember working and knocking doors between my two jobs for Kay Hagen mm-hmm. against Tom Tills. When he run, it was personal, right? right. This was personal. Right. This is six years in the making. Mm-hmm. It's personal, but never for a right. moment. And I am I going to sign as a black woman just so I can get an easy win? And that's what yeah. the South needs to start to figure out is not the way to win. I think that we're in a storm right now where Cal Cunningham will more than likely win. I don't look at polls. I don't trust polls. If you were not organizing in 2019. Oh, I'll do I'll do this again. I do not trust polls. Do not trust polls. Because if you were an organizer for Hillary Clinton in 2016 and you saw all the polls and then you sat on your bedroom floor and cried when you saw the returns in in November 9th, no, I'm sorry, November 8th, you understand that polls don't mean a lick of hill of beans. And people lie to polls. People lie to pollsters all the time. Um, I can talk about Andrew Gillum's race and how they lied to polls down there too and completely opened the race completely because that was like what happened like we're not even talking about the the recent scandal but like what happened because it was just it was crazy i'll tell you exactly what happened i'll tell you exactly what happened in places like gainesville and tallahassee and daytona beach Mm -hmm. and and outside of tampa you had white people had to talk to black organizers for andrew gillum's campaign and lied to their face saying they were going to vote for andrew gillum and they did Mm -hmm. not they didn't Mm -hmm. they didn't that's what happened so, so so what do you see on the landscape for like um for South Carolina? Like what do you see in terms of like how do you size up some of our races, our our most my I guess higher profile races? Yeah. So Jamie Harrison's at the top of the ticket. And mm-hmm. um I you know, there's this reality where we have to think about mm-hmm. what happens when Jamie wins. Like when Jimmy wins, mm. it's just like, you know, oh, let's going to be out of there. And that's going to be it. This is what I'm afraid of. And, and even Biden. But let's, yeah, Jamie specifically. Like, what, yeah, what's going to happen? Specifically, you're going to get a lot of, like, every action comes with a reaction. In 2008, mm. Obama won. In 2010, Republicans registered in North Carolina alone 90,000 new voters. With mm. every action, there's a reaction. When Jamie wins... It's going to be almost like a mini 2009 in um, South Carolina. You're going to see a lot of people come out against him. A lot of white people saying like, oh, what about this? And what about this? We can't trust him. And, 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 you know, things like that. 
we're going to have to really have everybody hold the line and support and, and not Lindsay, I'm sorry, support Jamie. Um, yeah. You're going to see. And, and I just want to say something I didn't factor in when you were talking about like how, how uh, of North Carolina's landscape changed back in, um, you, you said six years in the making or so. Mm-hmm. Um, we forgot to factor in the 2012, 2013 gutting of the voting rights act, oh, yes. which yeah. totally transformed North Carolina like completely so we can only with this with this current Supreme Court and, and RBG hanging on by a thread um <laughs> I don't know why she didn't step down during why didn't she step down during Obama I don't um I'm serious like why did Look, like right after, right after he was reelected, just say, girl sit down my hot, my hot take about Ruth Bader Ginsburg is that I really want people to leave her alone so she can die in peace like leave that For lady real. alone if you if you're black in America, first of all, I got parents who were born with a with a with a truly fucked up Supreme Court. So to I hate to I hate to like minimize it, but if let's say she passes tomorrow, God forbid, God no forbid, knock that. on wood, we don't yeah, want that to knock on my you know wood grain, but like if that like it's not it, we black people done dealt with that reality before having a stacked court and not you know we just we've dealt with it you know I don't know anyway I don't, I got off topic but. Yeah, so so yeah, the Voting Rights Act was gutted. It meant it had um so many amazingly bad uh, consequences for North Carolina, like you said, and then factoring that backlash that North Carolina experienced, we're poised to receive that too. Yeah. If let's say the presidency, let's say Biden wins the presidency, and we flip a major Senate seat here, it's it's just going to be like a major backlash here yeah. in the South, correct? Yeah, South Carolina. I mean, recently, I would feel like the Republicans are already mobilizing for that. I really think they mm-hmm. already, I, I feel like they've already seen that they're going to lose in a big capacity in November. Mm-hmm. They're already organizing to have that backlash happen as soon as the polls come back. Um, mm-hmm. And we need to be ready for that. Because what we're going to do is that we're going to chill. We're going to be like, okay, we can breathe. Now, I'm, I'm going to I'm be very clear about what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. White people who were at Women's March, who marched as like a brunch activity, are going to be like, our job is done. Our job is absolutely done. But, but, but Lexi, they already doing it with BLM. Like the Calhoun statue came down, and like my either it's the algorithm or they just tired. Like it's both. The, the engagement, <laughs> the engagement is done. Like it's it's like they don't. I don't get the request for like okay, how do we register people to vote? What are we? What should we do? Can we form a club? Go ahead. I didn't mean to jump in there, but yep. Well, gonna... what I will say that is a little mm-hmm. heartening. But it's still like, mm. is that um? Mm. So my most most reach engagement was with organizing together 2020. We did a partnership with Vote Save America Crooked Media, and mm. um, we were just, you know, we would do these trainings. We had like 16,000 people on it, like frothing at the mouth for the chance to phone bank. Right? They're just like, I want a phone bank. Give me a list. I want to register voters. Give me a list. Like I just want to do it. I just want to do it. And I'm just like, you know. You have this fervor because they weren't anywhere to be found in 2016. Um, mm. But, and because they want their goal. What is their goal, Mika? To get rid of Trump. Mm. That's our goal too, right? But And that's the scary thing. That's the scary thing. It's all unified thing. around Trump. So you take away, you take away Trump. What are they fighting for? Oh my gosh, they're fighting for themselves. So you're going to see a lot of, so in the reality, so there's different realities, right? So the reality where Trump loses, in the reality that Mitch McConnell, so in the reality where Lindsey Graham, Donald Trump, and Mitch McConnell all lose their seats, you're going to see why people go on vacation 
vacation. Mm. They're like, I got my job done and we're good to go. But what they don't realize, and when I look at don't think that we're really talking about, is like, what does that mean for the states? What does that mean for federal government? What does that mean for Kentucky and South Carolina? These are states that are needing to build back up from the ground up. Thank God for Andy Bashir in Kentucky, right? He's a great governor there. He's doing a wonderful job. Um, mm-hmm. He can he can get on, on Breonna Taylor's murderers, but that's a different conversation. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but as far as like upholding a state and changing the state from the inside out, Kentucky is in a better position than South Carolina, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. But wow. um, yeah, you're going to see a lot of Republicans pour money into these states to reclaim their homes, right? You're going to see that. Mm. I think that in terms of other Senate races, I think we're going to eke out a win in North Carolina. I really do believe that. Um, Not just because I'm from here, because, you know, to be a Black Southerner organizer is to have your home state break your heart every day. So Mm. to understand, like, I I I don't hold my breath a lot. But I really am feeling like we're going to eke out this win. It's going to be good for us. But looking at other states like, you know, Arizona, I think they're going to wake out and win too. Maybe not Maine. Um, <clears throat> um, maybe not Montana. Maybe not even Kansas. But, you know, we're going to try in all these places. There's going to be a ton of money. When there's a ton what about of- Michigan? Oh. You know, I'm going to say I don't know. I'm going to give a Lexi stamp. I'm not right, sure. Good. I'm not sure. That's yeah. a real toss-up. Michigan, people think it's just Detroit and Flint and Michigan, and it's just it's unequivocally not. not true. Like, unequivocally not true. Michigan is a conundrum, period. The so, Rust Belt. Yeah. The Rust Belt mm. is a conundrum. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. That's the Rust Belt with uh, mm-hmm. Minnesota being on the w- more Western end of that, but they're all conundrums because they, because turnout is pretty bad in these States. So when you mm-hmm. like, like a Tennessee, when you have low turnout for your most, for your black voters that are the most loyal, which are black voters, because they're not mm-hmm. energized by the candidate, like black voters are going to turn out for Gretchen Whitmer because of her performance mm-hmm during COVID, like, you know, making sure that she holds the yep. line and me, like, they're going to turn out for Gretch. They may I not, turn her out for her. I turn out, I, for, I her. Turn out for her. I turn out for her for her daily. For her skincare alone, like, girl, where's the line? I'm sorry. I'm looking. Th- I'm being Give silly. me, drop but the no, link. Yes. Drop the link. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, voters are going to turn out and turn up for candidates who hold true to their promises and keep us safe, right? They're going to always do that. Um, they're not going to turn out for for um, candidates who toe the line. And this is where the danger in moderate politics live. Because if you're not engaging Black people, you're losing. You're just losing. And I don't know when the moment is going to come where a poster from Washington is going to be like, hey, maybe we need to engage Black voters. Hey, maybe that means actually running a Black candidate. I don't know when that's going to happen. But time is a black now. woman candidate, a black tick, woman tick. candidate from yes. South, a serious one here serious in South Carolina. Woman. Like, yeah. There and are, let me ask you this question. It, go ahead. I was oh, going to, I was gonna just going to say, say something very quickly. What I've been noticing mm-hmm. in South Carolina in terms of black women candidates is that there is a fertile, fertile ground in local politics, a fertile ground. You have your states, you have your state representatives, your Crystal Simmons, mm-hmm. your me, your me and McLeod's. Um, mm-hmm. who are really leading the charge of what it means to be a Black Southern woman doing this work. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then you have like people like in Columbia and the surrounding areas doing really good work in like alderman positions and city council positions. Yeah. Those are the people that we need yeah. to actually start grooming. Not grooming in a, in a bad way. I'm going to reclaim grooming no. for white people. No, no. I, I, I use it. I don't use it as a pejorative at all. But no, we need to start help like an incubator, like yeah. where we can cultivate and facilitate, you know, some stronger leadership and where they don't have to sacrifice their identity um you know that that's the thing I don't go ahead you were saying keep, keep no, going but that's pretty much it like you know mm-hmm. I remember you and I had a conversation about like you know where are the black women in South and North Carolina who are running I'm like I don't know really mm-hmm. where they are because that's just what mm-hmm. the party does to black women that's what the party does to black women. We don't ever get a chance to really have our voices heard. We have to go through these rings and trials and tribulations as if we're back in the Bible days to try to get any kind of people to vote for us. We have to go through the black establishment. We have to go through the white establishment. We have to be a certain way. You know, it's revolution. And we and we and we have and we have like that that thing here um emerge and shout out to um what's her name that runs emerge? Um I forgot black chick that runs emerge, but shout out to her, uh, Melissa, Melissa Watson, mm-hmm. um, and and no no shade, no tea, but like I need to see more from some of these, you know, I don't know what do you call like uh, Emily's list and um, emerge, what do you call those? Um, um, the word escapes me right now. Yeah, the, the, what, I know what you're you talking. Know, you sign up, mm-hmm. yeah, you sign up and and you learn how to be a better candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but they're not they're not churning out enough diversity, and not to me, I don't see the support explicitly for black female candidates. I'll see a diverse cohort of people who I love and admire black and white women, but I don't see the, I just don't see enough of the, of the strengthening of skills when it comes to black women, or do I see, nor do I see a support for a support system for black women candidates. I just don't see enough of it. Um, I see trainings. I see thoughtfulness. I don't see the concerted effort to really grow that, um, that pool of candidates, but um, we, we, yeah. It's because of money. Yeah. And like, I remember having the same exact thought about Emerge more than likely before that woman, as you just said, joined the team. Yeah. But Ma- I remember. Um, yeah, Melissa. Yeah. Melissa Watson. Melissa Watson. Yeah. I, I think I heard about this before she joined the team, but like, it was like $700 mm-hmm. for someone to mm-hmm. sign up for these trainings. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it's not like a single mother of four can't do this, but a single mother mm-hmm. of four more than likely cannot afford just to give somebody $700 for a training like that is such a uh it's a block. it's cost prohibitive it's cross- yeah it's a barrier the barrier yeah, yeah and that and that's the thing right there right so I would love to see maybe a more progressive version because I think a lot of them are just uh cutting and pasting what Emily's list is and what um some of these other um you know I won't say run for something because they're I like I like run for something mm-hmm. um they're for 30, 30 and under I think but but no it's it's to me it's a little co- 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 uh, copy and paste and um we just need something different we need a different type of tool that actually removes barriers for specific people for for, for specific, specific groups be it Latinx women or uh lgbtq candidates we just need certain barriers removed so they can enter but um i think i think i want to hold the conversation there but i I definitely want to invite you back for like a part two yes oh maybe oh maybe we'll do like a recap of like a major race like maybe i would love you know that happens organically between you and i anyway so i would love to get it recorded that is perfectly fine next time next time i'm gonna just say girl let's just talk and then i'm gonna sneak a recording in there somewhere can i leave your (laughs) listeners with a thought 
Hell yeah. So I think that, you know, most of your white listeners out there, I think that you all have learned how to utilize your pocket for equity. And I think that as we are now kind of like leaning off of like, you know, throwing just a ton of money at Black Lives Matter and like the bail funds and things like that. If if you're feeling like you haven't done that in a while and you want to do something else, cool. Donate directly to um, small black females, women who are running. Um, mm. Donate directly to them. That is the next step. Mm. You're going to see a lot of whole bunch of, you know, angry white men who are liberal on Facebook saying, vote people, don't worry about all this. You vote and vote him out. The actual, it's not even voting because we know to vote. It's in, it's it's insulting at this point. We're, we vote anyway. I can give you the stats on Virginia elections, New Jersey elections, North Carolina elections. I know the stats. We vote. What we don't do is that we don't have the money to support these very good candidates who can change, who can change the landscapes. We don't have that. That's right. So if you want to utilize your pocket, donate to the campaigns directly. Donate to your local black woman who's running for alderman because she's there. And, yep, yep, yep. And, and and the black woman who's thinking about it, like I think there's some black women in Charleston and Colleton County who I know have at least publicly stated that they're going to run for like school board. So shout out. I think um, I know one specific, let me just mention the one I know. I know um, Taisha Aiken down in Carlton County. Like, I don't know where she is in the planning process, but I want to, I'm going to actually now take your advice and start promoting those women who are running smaller, like bootstrap campaigns and really get folks to really invest in them. But also I'm going to drop your info so people can invest in you. <laughs> so I'm going cool. to drop. Yeah. I want, I want my listeners to please support Lexi. Um, she's not going to ask you for it, but we're going to make sure that y'all show some love and um, I'm going to drop her cash at her Venmo, whatever she's going to give me. And so y'all can give, but um, Lexi, I appreciate you sis so much. Yes, this was so fun. Thank you so much. Can't wait to do it again. I'll bug you so we can do it again. <laughs> yeah. And please just bug me anytime. I, I love to hear you talk about politics. It's very important. Yes. Thank you so much for doing this. All right. Luca. All right. Bye. Bye.